0: Long hiatus. Welcome back to the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Alex Duval. How's it going, man? Joel,
1: I'm doing well. Uh, Halfway, or we're almost done with this draft now. Fourth round just ended, so we're still waiting on the Royals' fifth round pick, but um, liking what we've seen so far, liking what's fallen into place for them. So I'm pretty excited about the draft this far with uh,
0: one round yet to go. Yeah, it just feels good to talk about baseball and have some baseball news back in our lives. We've so badly needed it. Uh, obviously we haven't recorded anything since i'm pretty sure our pre like at the beginning of college the college season back in february so it's been a while but feels good to have a little bit of baseball to talk about and we're really excited tonight uh joined by two of the two other great guys to talk about royals baseball with joined by cody tapp who i'm sure you guys have heard on 610 sports radio host of cody and gold Uh, cody thank you so much for joining us tonight as well of course thanks for having me happy to be here yeah, we're also joined by Clint Scholes, who runs RoyalsAcademy.com. Does fantastic work over there. How you doing, man?
2: I'm doing well, guys.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I guess let's just get right into it. The Royals, with their fourth overall pick, took Asa Lacy, a lefty out of Texas A&M. Uh, they'll surprise us a little bit. Obviously, things got a little wacky with uh, with Baltimore taking Heston Kirsted, uh, number two overall, and then Max Meyer going number three to... Um, to the Miami Marlins, but Alex, what were what were your thoughts on immediately when the Royals uh, took Lacey there at four?
1: I was shocked both initially that he was even there, and secondly, that they passed up on uh, the shortstop from Vandy, Austin Martin. Um, you know, Austin Martin, I feel like, is a guy that if Dayton Moore could build a player in a lab, that's about what you'd get out of him. Um, you know, there are some other reports we got after the draft that, You know, just it makes a little more sense, maybe why they passed on him, but um, pretty shocked that they passed on Martin. I was shocked that Lacey was there in the first place, Um, but uh, couldn't be happier with the fact the Royals got who they thought was their guy. I know Dayton Moore came out right after the. I don't know if it was you, Cody, or if he just, if this was on his um, Zoom call where he said that, you know, they made a decision before the draft that if Lacey was there, that was their guy, and, and that's the guy they got. So. I've always maintained the stance that you know whatever Dayton Moore thinks is good for team, I'm on board with. So, if that was their guy and they got him, then you know I'm all for it.
3: You know, I, I just thought I think I wanted Austin Martin just because I felt like they need position player depth, and, and Clint can speak to that too, obviously. But that was part of like, okay, come on, all right, Austin Martin's not supposed to be there, and now he's there, let's do it. But Lacey is another one of those not supposed to be there, and now he's there, so why not? And and, it, and based on you know, when you listen to Dayton talk, and I was texting a little bit with some more front office guys today, I think what it was with Lacey is that it was the it was the potential. You know, we talked a lot. We spent, you guys probably too, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the arms of the Royals having coming up in the system, and how excited everybody is for Bubich or Singer or Lynch or Coar. Lacey should be expected to be the best prospect out of all of them. You should expect him to be the best pitcher. So... If that's the kind of guy available to you, considering what you like in your arms, I don't. I don't blame him for taking him. I was. Uh, I was surprised he was there, but also, I don't know. The MLB draft is almost impossible to predict, so I guess I should never be stunned. Anyone's available.
2: Yeah, that's kind of where I was taking it too. I was surprised he was there. Um, now that I've talked to guys afterwards, I talked to some few a few scouts today. Uh, they thought that he would be. They thought that a lot of the publications had him overrated a little bit Uh, and Martin, more of like a five to seven guy, um, where Lacey was thought to be, you know, the second or third best player pretty much by everybody in the industry and not in the industry who writes about it. So I thought they might get to get a chance at Lacey because I'd heard rumors that uh, the Marlins were going Meyer. I guess they were going Meyer all the time. It was never a doubt that was their guy. So the Royals were going to have to make that decision on Lacey versus Dean anyway. So uh, they, you know, they went and got their guy and, you know, there's a lot of things to like. I think Alex, you and I kind of went back and forth. I wasn't as sold on Martin uh, just because I don't know about the power being there. I don't know about the position there. So Lacey kind of fits with the pitchers that they already, already have. So it makes a lot of sense. The one thing I worry, the only thing that scares me about
3: passing on Martin is, like, the Anthony Rendon thing. Clearly the best college player. Everybody agrees he's the best college player, and then he just slips down because, like, eh, ah, now nah, we'll get somebody else. You're like, ah, maybe we just want the best college player every once in a while.
1: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there, and and that's kind of the thing where – know, I don't know if I if I like the fact that they liked Nick Nick Lofton. I don't know if it, if it scares me a little bit that he was, <laughs> you know, in the same conversation as Martin. And I'm, and I'm assuming there's a significant uh, money deal that was going to go on there, a significant significant pay cut from Martin. But you know, I, if if the idea was, hey, we can get Lacey now and Lofton later, um, and that's the reason they end up passing on Martin. Um, you know, I, somebody tweeted as the Murphy's Law that whoever the Royals do draft is going to go on to be a Hall of Famer. So I'm just – I'm fully expecting Austin Martin to go and be Ben Zobrith and just be an all-star year in, year out. And so – but I, I really, again, I don't blame the Royals for taking Ace Lacy. Um, you get a lefty that can throw 97 with that slider, and I would take that every day of the week. I saw several people said he was the most dominant college arm they saw all year. So if that's the pitcher you can get, then, then I'm all for it. Um, I, I would have personally been on Austin Martin there, but um, like Clint said, there were there were several people who did not think he was that he was that level. Um, you know, I heard I think seven to nine was more realistic. So, um, you know, I'm on board, but I was personally second guessing it uh, as the pick came in.
0: Yeah, I think that's where I definitely sat with it. I think because you had so many options for the Royals there at that fourth pick that you weren't really expecting Zach Bean was still there. He had, still had Emerson, Hancock, Austin Martin. Like There were so many different directions I think the Royals could go. And Lacey ended up being a little bit of an afterthought for me, and I don't know why. I think it was because I was so expecting him to come off the board at two or three that I didn't even think he was going to be there. So when the Royals picked him, it did take me by surprise. But I got to see him early in, in the spring at the Frisco Classic against Illinois, and he had uh, 11 punchouts in six innings, and Illinois just looked absolutely helpless, most of those at-bats. So, I mean, he, he's able to miss bats. He's an impressive dude to watch on the mound, and you can never have too much good pitching. And the Royals now have an embarrassment of riches of it in the in the top of the system right now. So it, it's a really good spot for the Royals to be in to have another guy that they can go to with Singer and Coar and Lynch and Boob. It's just to add to that crop as well.
3: They could just trade one anyway, right, for a position player. Pitch, that, right? that, That's a problem.
1: the problem. That, at all. that crossed my mind. It, it did. That crossed my mind. Godian. is it's the you know the idea that they traded. Um, you know, Sean Manaya for for a high level position player, a, p- a pitching prospect for the best position player available at the deadline. So, you know, I, I do think that we see more often than not the high level pitching prospects get, you know, dr- you do get traded for multiple position players. So, you know, maybe that's that's something that could they could work out if they needed to. But, um, you know, Clint mentioned, or maybe it was you, Cody, that earlier that they they do need position players in the in the system and. I know Clint and I both agree this is one of the deepest college arms classes that I've ever seen, um, and so I, I really thought there was just going to be enough value later on in the college arms, and Clint, I'll let you speak to some guys you, you thought maybe would have been there, but um, that I think that's more or less wild surprise that Lacey was the pick there just because the college arms were so deep.
2: Yeah, that's the that's the only problem I had with the You already have an abundance of college arms in the minors, and I, like I said, I wasn't sold on Martin, but I thought that that was going to be the pick when it kind of laid out. And uh, you could have had, you know, just, I mean, we saw Cole Wilcox go today Um, he's probably going to sign with the Padres. I mean, that's a guy that you could have probably inked, um, saved yourself some money at, at 41 and inked at 32. Um, there's other arms that you could have had, you know, other Good, high-quality arms. I'm a real fan of Chris McMahon from Miami. That's a guy you could have got later. Um, so I thought there was arms to be had, and there's not really a need. Obviously, you never know. It takes 10 to get one is what Dayton always says. But uh, the Royals have a lot right now, they have a, a ton, and they don't have much in position position uh, depth. And then the other thing I was looking ahead to is if this, te- this major league team performs like i think most of us think it will next year's class is pretty arm heavy at the top too with rocker and lighter and uh yeah and a couple other guys that are still going to be there ty madden the guy that the royals missed out on a couple years ago so i thought i just thought if you're not i understand that lacy's good i mean he if he's your top pitcher i get it but it just seems like you're really loading up, and then next year you're probably going to take another guy. It uh, you never know, but uh, you kind of know, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's a different different draft, and they still have needs and at position depth.
3: Well, that's that's you know, like when you go down to the second pick too, they do have a type. Like you know, they finally targeted someone with just like raw power today you know like all right we'll we'll switch up the second round pick is the same as taking brady mcconnell a year ago it's like all right let's get a pretty versatile infielder and see how that works i'm like man you got plenty of pretty versatile infielders especially at the like major league readiness level you know as far as the guys who fit into the roster i don't you know depends on how big of a fan of eric Mejia or how you want to look at umberto Arteaga, but you know between lopez and Witt, already there and I mean, there's a lot of movement, and they've already moved Dozier around to the outfield. It feels like there's a lot of movement already at those positions. Corner outfielders or outfielders in general, it's like that's, that was always the thing with Martin. I'm already, you know, like, it's hard to find lefties who throw 97. So it's hard to really complain about that. But then when you, you, know, when you get down to the second-round pick, it seemed like they just took kind of another prototypical, flexible infielder-outfielder rather than just attack a weakness. And Clint, you would like, I think corner outfield probably both agree, like as far as they got plenty of arms who will be ready in two years. How many outfielders are going to be ready in two years? And the list is Khalil Lee. And then I guess hoping, you know, Nick Heath's back becomes a reality or, you know, some of those guys that, you know, maybe his hit tool hasn't developed yet.
2: Yeah, my biggest problem with it is that they always seem to stick to the middle. You know, Nick Lofton can play shortstop. He can probably play second. They just never seem to look for some corner thump ever. Yeah. Like if Torkelson was available, would they have taken him? Yeah, I don't – I have to question that. I just – that's not their type – those type of guys. Nick Lofton's a nice player. I just don't know where he fits in. You've got Mondesi at short already. Yeah, if he struggles, you have Nicky Lopez as the backup to him. If You got Bobby Witt coming behind him. You've already had to move Brady McConnell offshore because you are so deep. You got uh, guys like I'm a really big fan of Michael Garcia, who they got that's at a low level guy. I just can lock. I got a comp from one of their guys today, Mike Bordick. Well, is Mike Bordick who you want to draft at 32? I, I mean, I wouldn't. That's not where I'm drafting that Mike Bordick is at 32. Maybe 79, 76 or something like that.
3: Well, and the thump, like that's just because that's corner outfielders and corner infielders. And that just – that never seems to be a high-priority position for him. Of course, the last time they did it, they took Prado, who hit like a Bill 90 his last year. The month. So, like, they tried it once and it didn't work out. So that's probably not going to convince them that that's the move again.
2: No, but they don't. they don't do it with college – very often either uh, college bats and, you know, yeah. you talk about uh, outfielders. I think if you're hoping, maybe you're hoping Kyle Isbell develops yeah. quick along with Khalil Lee and and guys like that. And uh, But they they just have, I mean, just position prospects, they're struggling right now unless these guys that really struggled last year make a turnaround.
0: So, yeah, that's yeah. – oh, Go, ahead, go ahead, Alex.
2: That's
1: what that's kind of where I was at too. Is the you know we we preach all the time over at Royals Farmports. People that ask is you don't draft based on need. It's always about position available, and and that's true to the extent of if you have one guy over another and he's clearly better than than I, than I tend to agree with that. But when you are so strong in one category, you're so weak in another, and a guy like Austin Martin does present itself um it, it it a makes me feel like they must have really thought that the ace lacy was their guy but then you go you, you talk about nick Lofton, and, and it, it just makes you wonder like where a guy like daniel cabrera would fit into their into their list where a guy that is a is, a, is an outfielder's hit everywhere along the way he was i think he was all freshman sec uh in 2017 or i'm sorry 2018 so um it, it does make you wonder what their board would have looked like and, and what they were prioritizing because they've gone pitcher uh, again in the fourth round and and I and I, I like Ty Gentry. I think he's is solid enough prospect. I don't know that he's ever going to be an everyday big leaguer. So at what point are you are you um, oh what's the word um, putting an emphasis on college hitters that can hit for thump that have a ceiling to them? instead of the safe, same type of college player
2: they've been drafting for the last three or four years, it seems like. Yeah, I, I look at the Detroit Tigers draft, and I just think that's the, the exact draft the Royals needed to have. Yeah, they had Torkelson, so the Royals couldn't draft him. But Dylan Dingler, Danny Cabrera, Trey Cruz, Gage Workman, all guys, college bats, all guys that have some thump, have some upside – I mean, that's just the kind of – and they've got the pitching like the Royals do already. They've got, you know, Scooball ball and they've got a Manning and they've got Gage uh, or uh Mize. So they've got a similar system to the Royals, but they went out and attacked the same need that that the Royals had, I think, with, you know, a little bit better better plan than what Kansas and the end up doing.
3: Yeah, I, it, I, again, like, I mean, I don't mind the lazy pick or even – you know, like, when I go back through and look at what other scouts thought about, you know, their second and third pick, I mean, all their picks seem perfectly in line with what would be about the right value and decent positionally. It just didn't seem like necessarily directly what they needed. They just kept loading up. Dayton told us, is like, I mean, I, I think he made it pretty clear that his plan going forward is to build with power arms. Like, bah, you know, last time we had the power arms in the back of the bullpen, and now time, you know, this time we're going to try to have them in the front. And that is not the worst strategy for a team that is never going to be able to afford high-quality starting pitching on the open market. But he also, in that same breath, said that you need a lineup that can hit one through nine. And, I mean, they finished, what, I think it was bottom five in the American League last year and runs scored. So, I mean, how many guys coming up are, are the replacement bats for two, three, four? Really, I mean, you know what it is, Clint? And, and you know, I think... Joel, Alex, you know what I think it is? I think they're banking – like this plan banks a lot on Mondesi staying healthy and actually developing the hitter. I still think he can be. Oh, totally. like I'm still really high on Mondesi. But but it, a lot of this banks on, like, okay, Mondesi just becomes the three-hole hitter he's supposed to be.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I was going to go with next is this – to me, signals that they must believe a lot in what they already have. And, and I think that includes guys like Sully Matias, Melendez Prado, who really struggled last year. I think this – is overwhelmingly a vote of confidence. And, and I mentioned that to well, somebody else last week that um, I really thought it wouldn't be the first pick that kind of tipped their hand. I thought it would be the next group of picks that tipped their hand at what they thought and just at, at what they drafted, a guy like Nick Lofton who's not a you know prep with all kinds of – it wasn't Mason Wynn. Um, it, it, this, to me, it signals they must have confidence – in their ability to to develop the guys they already have, it's a vote of confidence that they're going to hit at some point. Um, whether it's the group of Merrifield, Dozier, Mondesi, Lopez, or whether it's guys that are in the minors, Cleo Lee, Isbell, um, Matias, Melendez, Prado, they've got confidence that one of those groups is going to hit because they haven't put any kind of a sense of urgency into adding bats, um, save for one pick, I think, last year in Bobby Wood Jr., who that, that may have been the, the one pick that, in my opinion, is, hey, we want to add an electric bat into this lineup, um, so we're going to go get go get our guy. But um, everything else they've done the last couple of years just hasn't really done it for me on the offensive side of the baseball.
3: That's because they haven't really shown much numbers. I mean, I just – I mean, I'm not – you know, Clint and I were texting a little bit about Prado earlier just because – I mean, you, you think about where you took him in the top 15 of the draft, and he's a prep bat, so fine, take a little time with it. But, you know, as they've jumped him up, you know, like they will with prospects that high, jumped him up a level to try to, re- you know, start the bat or switch some things about a swing, which he did late last year, and it, you know, bore a little fruit. You know, that's a guy you were kind of counting on coming around to playing first base by now so that you could have power. That's my biggest concern. It's like actual power in the lineup because for the first, you know, we've – they still have some guys you're hoping for that, but nobody's put together a full season other than Solaire. So no Dozier, who has real power, Mondesi, who has real power. There's no full season guys in there, so you just don't really know if any of it's going to pan
0: out. So I'm curious, I'll, we'll circle back a little bit to some of the guys that the Royals have picked today. So the, the at pick 41, they took a prep guy out of Chicago named Ben Hernandez. I'm curious your thoughts there, just initially from what I saw, looks like a pretty clean delivery, a really good changeup that was kind of the calling card that a lot of people were talking about with him. Is that He'll reach to the mid-90s right now, but the changeup is plus, and that's, you know, for a 18-year-old, that's at least a pretty good start.
1: Yeah, I've always I've always thought that a really good changeup creates a really high floor uh, for any for any pitcher at any level. Is if you can master a changeup, you've created a floor for yourself. Like we saw last year with Chris Bubich. I I like Chris Bubich a lot. He led the minor leagues in strikeouts. I do not think that makes him even the best pitcher in this particular system. It's that changeup that allows you to propel yourself to at least Double away. Like Chris Bubich's changeup. Jackson Kowar's changeup are going to carry them to a certain level of baseball where they're going to be really successful. Um, Where if you trade that changeup for a breaking ball, I don't think you're guaranteed the same guaranteed level of success. So with a guy like Ben Hernandez, Tampa Bay Rays did a really good job of this um, in the early 2010s. Is they drafted or they ended up with James Shields, Alex Cobb, Jeremy Hellickson, who for a while created a, a rotation that looks like it would be really promising and maybe carry them to a to the playoffs more than it did because all those guys they developed had really good changeups and so I like the idea of taking a prep kid with a really good fastball and a plus plus changeup. I think it it creates a safety net of sorts around the pick. Um, so so I'm I'm a big fan of that pick, but then to become a major league starting level of a prospect, you've got to develop the breaking ball and I, and I've seen. Uh, quite a few innings that Ben Hernandez threw mostly with the PDP team last summer is the, I, that breaking ball is not there. So the fastball the change up are absolutely ridiculous. I saw him triple down on his change up on numerous occasions. He'd get a lefty up there. I don't think it was Zach Bean. It might have been Robert Hassel. And I'm probably wrong about that too. But I think it may have been Robert Hassel. He threw three change ups in a row, sat him down, and said, See you later. Like this pitch is good enough to get me by you, and I don't need anything else. So the changeup is really good, but he's going to have to develop curveball. And he's 18; he's got time, but but it's definitely not there yet.
3: Well, especially in their system, he's got time. That's yeah. the appeal of a of a prep arm who has one dominant pitch. Which, if you're taking prep arms, that's what you're looking for, okay? Does he have a, a fastball that just buries you at 97, and we'll just worry about the rest? Okay, great. Um, that you know, and for a guy like Lacey, you have three pitches that are devastating, and a fourth you're working on. And then that's why you go fourth, or where you know he goes instead. The appeal about that is, like you said, change-ups, it's like the one pitch everyone in baseball is always trying to develop. Like, it's the one pitch that, you know, It's it goes back to the Greg Maddox quote about Tony Gwynn, essentially, where he's, hey, all you do is move the ball around and change the speeds and no hitter's eyes can adjust to it, except for, you know, fucking Tony Gwynn. You know, like, fine. Okay, so unless there's that guy who's stopping you, changing speeds enough will, you know, throw things off that you can get out. And for him, you know, he can slowly develop a curveball for, I mean, years. They just – they're not – they got so many guys ahead of him right now. If you look at where he is, where would he be? 10? 11? I mean – Justin Arms, yeah. Just in I mean, Arms, yeah. That's, yeah. I'd, probably, I'd
0: probably have him right outside the top 10 maybe.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, we could go way down the list before we get Singer, Coar, Lynch, Lacey, Austin Cox, Bolin, Carlos Hernandez. Like, I mean, we can get pretty far down the list before you're like, where do I rank him? I like a guy who's got a dominant pitch, and then they can work on the rest of it.
1: Yeah, agreed. And, and it, that, like what, what you were just saying, kind of makes me think even more about the fact they keep stockpiling arms is, you know, I, I would put Ben Hernandez in there, kind of the same category as a Ryland Kaufman or a Charlie Newweiler who they, they kind of already have in the system, right? And Ryland Kaufman's always hurt, I don't know how his, I haven't heard about his health in a while, but big fastball, big curveball, Charlie Newweiler. same type type of way, big fastball, big curveball. And then Ben Hernandez slots in there for me right around the same tier Is big fastball, big changeup. And then can you develop a third pitch? Can you develop that pitchability necessary? Um, But like you said, Cody, we can go on and on the list, and we might get to to 13 pitchers in the system where Ben Hernandez finally slots in. No knock against him. I love the fastball, love the changeup. But – just stockpiling to, to a to a strength that is going to allow him a lot of time to, to be able to develop. Um, you know. It, it, like you said, it's not there yet. He's got all kinds of time to work that in.
3: Clint, how long are they going to wait on Christian Chamberlain? You said you like that pick. That's not a name I was super familiar with, but it's another college arm in a system that already has a lot of college
2: arms he to me is a bullpen guy he's fastball curveball he's not very big he's like five eleven um i don't think he's a guy they prototype you know they see as a starter i think he's a bullpen arm for them and uh yeah they might run him out to start at first but i i would imagine they look at him in the back end they've got plus they've got so many college arms like we've talked about they've got Guys, you know, you mentioned Rylan Kaufman. They got a lot of Latin arms that are coming as well. And so I think he's got to be a guy they think that can move somewhat fast through the system. Um, that's another thing where their pick of of Hernandez kind of surprised me. I didn't – you know, I thought he was going to be something that, that they drafted as a spot guy, as somebody that saved money and then come back with a pick later. And to get – you know, I like Tyler Gentry, but uh, I didn't think that was the upside they were looking for him. I wonder if somebody went off the board before they got to their pick.
1: Yeah, we you were talking about Chamberlain, Cody, and that that's – I was hoping they were going to be able to get Eater right there in the fourth round before Miami poached him with the pick right before. And then I think Chamberlain reminds me of a lot of Eater where it's different body but essentially the same way that he's attacking you is with a fastball and a curveball from the left side with a goofy angle. Reminds me a little of like a Richard Lovelady pick where I think uh, Chamberlain will fly through the minor leagues um, with that fastball-curveball combo coming from the left side. And it, and it, like Clint said, it's a goofy angle and he's not very big, so it's even harder to pick up sometimes. Um, but he, he, I really do like that pick. I was, I was hoping they would go eater. They basically got off-brand eater from the north so so I'm I'm really liking that pick um even though he is another college arm I do think he slots right back into the bullpen like Clint said I think I think that kid's going to be really underrated as he moves through the system
3: I mean they were already the draft was already starting to lean pretty college heavy over the last two or three years a year in which they get limited draft material limited scouting tape Lim- you know, like, limited ability to send your scouts to actually go watch a guy. I'm not surprised there's going to be another run on, you know, college arms versus prep guys who they hope will just go to college and they can figure out in a couple of years. Like, if you, if you take the risk on a prep player, no matter what, position or pitcher this year, you're, you're taking a slightly bigger risk. I know you got, like, he's a – but, you know, come on, man. Like, during the draft, they were showing, like, oh, man, he hit, like, 600 this year. I'm like, he had nine at-bats yeah <laughs> okay great like i was like well, he was great as a junior I'm like he was playing against 17 year i played high school ba- like like a lot of people play high school baseball right that's you know like i played baseball when you're 17 i mean he's just mowing down a bunch of people <laughs> I, I was never gonna be like you know and that's the thing like you need them to completely dominate and you expect to see that in a senior year so like i'm okay if the royals want to go more college player heavy this year because it's a year where you just don't get the same kind of tape on guys
1: Yeah, for sure. And I do think that that's the hardest part about judging this draft, no matter who they would have taken at any point, is the lack of information available and the lack of overall picks they're going to have. And I don't know, you know, how, how much their strategy was changed by Ace Lacy being there for them at number four. Excuse me. But I do think it's, it is going to be tough. Like in, in 10 years, if this, if we look back and go, oh man, that class of 2020. It's going to be really hard to to judge them too harshly at all, just because of the lack of information, like you said. Um, if Zach Bean goes on to be the best player in this draft, and the eight teams that drafted above him didn't want him because they were afraid of a track record or lack of information, whatever, it's yeah. going to be really hard to blame them. Because, like you, I mean, like Zach, like you said, there's, there's, they just didn't know. Like you didn't get to see him for a whole spring. You didn't get to see him you know, go through a slump, and then how did he handle it? So there's a lot you just don't get to learn about these guys. And with the college guys, you do have a couple of years of info on them. Um, so so I don't necessarily blame them in that regard, and it will be hard to judge. But it is interesting. If this was their strategy all along, it is kind of interesting to see uh, where they're going um, in terms of how, how they want to build this roster for the future.
3: I, you know, I just – it And that's a lot of it. They're still taking pictures like they plan on having a competitive team here soon, which means the same thing we said earlier, they trust in the position players they have. Even, even, you know, you go around, like, take a nick in the second round today, tells you at least a little bit about, you know, that's another guy who, you know, could kind of be a fast riser-ish. Like, he shouldn't be that long in the system. So, like, maybe that's the guy instead of the other utility guys that they kind of trust in the system to kind of get these things right. So, I mean, they're still acting like their plan is in two years to be competitive. I don't know that they can hit that timeline, but they're they're still drafting like that's the case.
2: Well, the problem I see with that is, you know, Jorge Soler's a, a pretty big cog in that, and he's, a, what, a free agent coming up? I mean, yeah. you know, you got one more year of him. You got after this year, which who knows what you're going to get out of him this year. And, uh, you know, Lofton's got to take over – you don't have wit for a whole lot of time. Plus, wit's you know aging. How long? When's the age curve hit him? Um, they really need Montesi to take off. They need him to be the cog, the the big piece, like you said. But uh, they're not in that great of a spot. They need Dozier to repeat what he did last year, and they need to find some kind of thump at first base, whether it's McBroom or whether it's O'Hearn uh, or going somewhere else. Um, I just I didn't like the strategy here unless Nick Lofton is, you know, Alex Bregman light. I don't see a whole lot to like, you know, other than Lacey in this draft.
3: I think the good news is about first base, Clint, is that at least that's been a pretty cheap market find across Mm -hmm. baseball. Like it's, it's a pretty fairly available position, free agency every year. So, So, if Prado never comes around, you can actually buy that problem. You can't solve a lot of problems with money in Major League Baseball, but first baseman who don't develop is at least one.
2: Uh, yeah, that is true. That is uh, something that they can go out and do. Um, but my, I guess my question is how how much do they evaluate that position? They're so yeah. deep. And that's the problem I have with the locked-in pick is that they're so tied to defense all yeah. over the all over the field, that they just don't go out and get thumpers. It seems ever. Solaire's pretty much the only one that I can remember that they went out and made a trade, and you know, got a guy who ends up being a ends up being a thumper.
3: Yeah, it's especially kind of weird, you know, because I've I've talked to Dayton a lot about this in Arizona, and you know, like about that Solar trade and how, you know, we you know we can't afford, we can't buy power. We have to develop it. I'm like, well, you have to draft it to develop it. Exactly. You can't just and I think sometimes it comes from guys who worked out for them that eventually just found power. I think Kane is always the guy that strikes me as a guy and like not tremendous power, but power, right? Like Kane all of a sudden was like, oh he can put it in the gap and occasionally over the fence and he was just a raw athlete. Like, yeah, but that doesn't always you no, know, it's it's easier sometimes to make them better at the other things. Especially you know, especially now. And especially because the Royals are so good defensively at so many positions. I'm with you, Clint. I mean, I wouldn't mind if they occasionally just found some guy who was, you know, slightly overweight third baseman but hits the ball over the fence all the time and then just try to work in the rest of the position. Especially because you don't know about Solaire, you might have an opening at DH anyway in a couple of years. You don't know. I mean, obviously, I think they'll try to work towards an extension, but you don't know that yet.
2: Yeah. It seems like it's a Diamondbacks – or not a Diamondbacks, but a a Rays strategy for a team that isn't the Rays in developing pitching. That's kind of how I look at what they're doing right now. There's, they're really loading up on arms, college arms. Often the Rays do that often, and then they turn around and trade those guys for position players here and there. But the Royals don't have the track record of developing developing pitchers, so how much are teams really going to give up yeah. for prospects?
3: but if they get a couple of guys up in the bigs from this most recent crop that work for a little bit, maybe it buys them a little equity. You're right. I mean, yeah, you know, the Rays can do it. But they get up Singer and, you know, if Singer and Coar, are the next two guys up or Singer and Lish, you know, and they actually do something at a big league level and they got a 1,000 guys behind it, maybe it buys them
2: a little equity that they can do it. That's true. That, that and they've changed things around. So we'll see. Uh, We'll we'll end on this real
0: quick. Um, Just final thoughts on at least the first couple guys in the class with Lofton and Lacey. It's kind of hard to tell what we're going to have. You know it's season-wise and prospect rankings and stuff, but where would you put at least the first couple guys in the class if you were to just kind of ballpark where you would have them in rankings among the Royals organization? I mean, I don't know where you are, Clint. I think Lacey's got to be second or
3: third. I mean, if he's behind anybody – In my opinion, it's Bobby Wood Jr. who is taking it a similar class. But I I already told you, I mean, if you take a guy fourth overall and pay him that kind of money and he has that kind of college track record, he becomes the highest pitching prospect in your system in my mind. And the guy that you expect most likely to become an ace. And then when you're looking at, you know, Nick, I I think he's probably, he's still got to be thought of as like a top 20 guy maybe or top 25. But a lot of that just comes from the fact that you haven't seen him in the minor league system. Same reason we would have bumped Prado up so quickly in that spot. You know, I, I'd probably rank them somewhere in that 25 range, but that's having not really seen them in the system yet.
2: Um, I've got uh, – I did it today already. I've got Lacey third. I got Coar Lynch, Lacey, just ahead of Bobby Witt. Um, and then that's just because of their track record. That's their stuff. Just, you know, opening up stuff to stuff. Um, they all got two quality pitches. You know, I'm still of the, of the mind that Coar can be Pedro Jr. That's why I'm so high of him. Um, Lacey's probably just right there. Lynch is right there. Obviously, Lynch is bumping 99 and, in, in Arizona Fall League. I've got Lofton right now, 13th, um, behind kind of that Kalia Lee, Men, uh, Melendez, Austin Cox right there, kind of in that group, just ahead of John Heasley, Tyler Zuber, Zach Hockey, kind of that. That guy and just a little bit safer floor. Uh, not quite the ceiling of those guys around it, but just a safer floor. Um, so that's where I have Hernandez. I would have probably well down the list. I would say in the probably in the in the 30s somewhere. I'll have to kind of look at and see where it is. Uh, same with the, uh, the other guys on the group, probably further down. Uh, Tyler Gentry is kind of, you know, We'll see. I'm not going to run him up that high, but I think he's a lot like Brewer Hicklin, Uh, kind of big power, got some questionable, you know, questions about his hit tool and and getting to it. But uh, that's kind of what I see him as a player.
1: Yeah, I couldn't have said – you just said everything I was getting ready to say almost to a T. I've got Kowar and Lynch right above uh, Ace Lacy as well, just because we've seen them at the professional level i like Ace lacy a lot i agree with dayton Moore that his stuff is in the one percent in the world his stuff his pure stuff is really good i also think right now at the pro level he's a two-pitch pitcher with a developing third pitch and command issues um, and i mentioned last night that uh, on another podcast that i think he's control over command like i don't have a huge question mark about his ability to throw strikes it's more or less where is that strike going to be because a a strike right down the middle of the plate. It's not necessarily better than a ball that's six inches above the zone. So um, I do think he's a little control over command. So I've got Bobby Witt one, Asa Lacey four, um, Nick Lofton right around the 15 range. Uh, ben Hernandez also right around the 40, right around 40. And then I was getting ready to say that Ty Gentry reminds me a little bit of Brewer Hickland and that they're ironically, they're both from the state of Alabama that, um, I think Ty Gentry is a great athlete and, and a great athlete like for a corner outfielder. Not He's not going to play center field or anything crazy. Um, but he does a lot of raw power. And I saw him – I saw that whole series against Mizzou last year. I think that kid can run. Like he can, he can move pretty well. So I don't think he's going to be stuck ever as a DH first base type. I think he'll stick in the corner outfield um, kind of fundamentally sound. I don't really worry about him in terms of like a hit tool. Like I don't think he's going to strike out so much. He just never makes it. I just don't know that he'll be able to access the power we've seen at college with wood bats against premium velocity all the time. Um, a lot of what I've seen from Ty Gentry is, is picking on um, weaker competition. And so, I mean, at some point you got to hit people that, that aren't as good as you. And he does that really well. I do want to see how he handles 95 all the time. Um, and then Chamberlain, probably in the 50s, I like him a little bit, but he's a reliever, non-closer. So um, I, I do like I do like the draft so far in terms of who they got. I do not like necessarily the way that it fits their system today. Um, I, and I do think that it's, that it's important to separate those two things. I do think there can be a world where those two things are separate and we can judge the players they have versus how they fit their needs a little differently, even though I am probably more than I say a lot that you don't draft on need. And here I am a little concerned with how these guys fit their need. But um, so I'm interested to see how they, how they fit into the system with the rest of the prospects as soon as they start playing minor league baseball again.
0: I kind of have – I pretty much have all these guys right around where you guys do and that, you know, pretty much exactly what you guys have been talking about for the last five minutes, so I don't feel the need to repeat myself and just make, talk in circles. But either way, uh, I think at least the guys at the top here I, I am excited about. It's You know, it may, mainly, if anything, it's just fun to talk about relevant baseball for the first time in a very long time rather than talking about constant negotiations between the players association and the owners. We actually have real relevant things to talk about with and guys that we can be excited about for the future of the Royals and just baseball in general. So this has been a, a ton of fun and I'm, I'm really excited for what the future of baseball we got here. Agreed. All right. All right. I think that, that wraps this one up. We'll do just a quick go around. Where can everyone follow on your social media, Alex, where can everyone follow you?
1: I am uh, on Twitter at Doobie,
3: it's Duvy. it's D U V Y underscore zero one three.
0: Cody, where can everyone follow you and your work?
3: At CodyBTAP or, you know, 10 to 2 on
2: 610. And Clint? Uh, yeah, you can follow follow me at uh, Clint Scoles, C-L-I-N-T-S-C-O-L-E-S on Twitter. Or uh, you can subscribe to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Royals Academy.
0: And you can follow me at JT Penfield. Be sure to follow the main site at Royals Farm. And we'll hopefully be back soon with some more baseball news that doesn't involve con- terrible contract negotiations. Have a great one, everybody.